This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Liverpool.com podcast. I am still your host, Mo Stewart, and I'm joined by two people who always brighten my day, Ben Bokchak and James Martin. Now, the sun is shining and the sun should still be shining in the hearts and minds of all Liverpool fans after another brilliant display of the weekend against Brighton. But I have to say we are getting to that part of the season where unfortunately contract negotiations start to drip feed into all of our hearts and minds. And uh, obviously there have been some uh, recent emojis tweeted by certain lawyers that have caused quite some consternation in this world. Now, we the, 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 the most seller contract issue has come up quite a few times over the course of the season. And most of the time, the, the word is, he's the best player in the world. We should just give him what he wants. However, were John Henry here or Tom Werner, or Mike Gordon, or Michael Edwards, maybe even Julian Ward. If any of these people ever spoke into a microphone, I'm sure they'll tell you it's not that easy. There are lots of things to consider. And that's what we will be doing today on this show. We will be considering some of these other things, or should we say other people, namely his two African brothers, Nabi Keita and Sadio Mane. Two players who came into the season with points to prove of their own, with their own contracts, ambitions in mind and what we're going to do is we're going to look at how they've been over the course of the season we're going to look at the main criteria that goes into deciding these contracts and work out whether or not they're going to be happy come the end of the season as well with what they're offered so Ben I'll start with you at the beginning of this season there was a lot of talk about this being a crucial year for Naby Keita uh, we'd all knew his quality but the same things were being said about him now as were being said about him in the first year of his career in as much as the consistency wasn't there for whether uh, injury reasons. How do you feel like he's come along with that? I feel like so far this season, it looks like he's been able to prove some of those doubts wrong. Absolutely. I mean, with Keita, I think Klopp mentioned it in his press conference uh, last week was never a concern about his performances because when he was playing and when he was up he did get into the rhythm he was brilliant most of the time and I think he said out of 180 of those games were quite good or <laughs> exceptional something along those lines so it was never that was never an issue with Kate I don't think he knew you know he might have a the few odd bad game here and there but that's expected. Everyone has a bad game. It's just the nature of humans. We're, we're, we're not perfect. So with him, it was always going to be about the injury situation and whether you know he can escape that cycle of playing a few games and then being injured and then playing a few games again and then being injured again. Uh, and I think this season, he's, he's looked like he's been more available um he's um and I, I, right now um he's on his longest ever run in terms of being away, available for liverpool or f- at international level in a single season since uh joining the club so i think that just shows you mm. uh, may, maybe those injuries are behind him 
Well, let's hope so. And I mean, to be honest, I think we've all at times indulged, whether through frustration or trying to be funny, some of the memes or some of the jokes around Nabby James, like, you know, he's made of crisps, he's made of wet paper, all of those kind of things. But being honest, we have to acknowledge that these things can start to psychologically affect players. I mean, we've seen in the last couple of days, the stuff that Nico Williams has been saying about some of the abuse he took. And even if some of the stuff against Naby said in jest, it does start to have an effect. And I think the one time he was missing with injury this season, which was um, after the tackle from Paul Pogba against Manchester United, which caused him to come off of a stretcher, many people assumed, oh, we wouldn't see him for a while. And he came straight back in the next game and then had to come off after 20 minutes. So... It's possible that some of those kind of fights, trying to fight against those kind of perceptions actually caused him to put himself in a firing line when he really should have taken more rest. Yeah, I mean, first, I'm just going to say, I always love doing shows with Ben. We're talking about the fundamental nature of human beings inside the first three minutes of the show. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, uh, philosophical points aside, yeah, I mean, definitely psychologically, there is that issue for Cater. Um, it's, it's so difficult because you don't want to, Police, what fans can and can't say, it's natural that there's there's frustration when there's this player who everyone knows is so good. It would be much less frustrating if he wasn't a good footballer, but mm-hmm. we know what he can do, but we just don't get to see it week in, week out. And yeah, that leads to frustrations, but people do just seem to forget that these are real players, real people. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of the inevitable consequence of where the Premier League has gone. It, it is so far removed from everyday lives. These aren't just people like us doing a job like they're I mean they're just worlds apart but on a on another level they are they are the same they are just people they are just going about their everyday lives and while that may be completely unrelatable in terms of what they're doing and how much they're earning that doesn't give everyone free reign to pile in on them and even as you say like even things that aren't necessarily criticism they're just jokes like it's it's going to weigh people down and considering that they're coming from people who support the team it just it's so counterproductive it's like you know <laughs> who who is this helping really like you you maybe get a couple of cheap laughs you get some retweets on twitter and then you might literally be harming the performance of the team mm-hmm. so it's it's just it's it's not like let's let's not make any jokes let's not have any digs at players who are performing badly or whatever but it's just a it's just a case of let, let's maybe think about what we're saying and you know i mean it applies in all walks of life I mean, maybe just save it for the WhatsApp group for an hour. No no one doesn't go public. But, I mean, to be honest, we have to mention, as Ben said earlier, John James, he has kind of turned the corner. This We mentioned that Brighton, it was his 100th Liverpool game. This is his fourth season. He's got 24 appearances so far this year, with 18 games still possible to play. It's looking like he'll beat his personal Liverpool record in a season of 33 performances. Do you think... We've spoken a lot in previous shows about Klopp's options in midfield, the fact that everybody seems to be available for him. How much has that helped keep people available by being able to rotate, being able to mix and match and not necessarily asking people to go into the red zone as a sports science people would call it? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to assume it's helped. It's easy to kind of write the narrative after the fact in the sense that a lot of the injuries last season were these kind of freak injuries rather than kind of muscular injuries. You look at, um, I think, Gomez had a just a, another one of his bizarre problems that just came out of nowhere. It didn't come from an accumulation of minutes. Van Dijk, similarly, he could have played as many games or as few games as he liked and he's still have been snapped by Pickford. So it's... <laughs> 
it's it's easy to kind of say that that's what happened but then there is also an element of it for sure there there is it's no coincidence that this has been the the best season injury wise for both Matip and Cater with the better rotation options in place they've been able to manage those minutes a bit more carefully um you mentioned when Cater was sort of thrown back in that was a kind of rare example most of the time when someone's picked up a knock they've been sort of eased back in which has been a luxury uh without the without the quality dropping off too much um so yeah i think it's it's easy to say like i think the contrast is probably more marked than than is accurate in terms of from last season to this season but there's no doubt that it's helped no and i mean sometimes perception is everything as we've just been saying so i think you're fair on that one as well so, okay, we've, we've kind of covered the injury issue. All Naby fans, don't worry, we won't talk about it anymore. Let's talk about his role on the pitch. Because, as Ben, you mentioned, Klopp thinks that out of those 100 appearances, probably 80 were really good. I'd say it's possibly more than that. I mean, if you look at his Premier League record, I think we have 2.69 points per game when he's on the pitch. And, I mean... 2.69 is very nearly three points. So that pretty much says that when he's around, we're winning, which means that he is doing his job. But I want to talk about the job itself. It feels a little bit like for a long time in his career, he was kind of held back by people's perceptions of what he could do or what he should be doing. And he wasn't being judged necessarily on what he was being asked to do. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, when he arrives, you, when you get the number eight uh, after Gerard, uh, there's always going to be a burden on you straight away. Uh, ex- certain expectations as well. When obviously people looked at his YouTube highlight reel, and there was a few bangers in there for like oh, yeah. uh, from long distance. So there was obviously going to be comparisons. But the truth is, is he's a completely different player, and. Um, like you say, he's got a different role in the team as well. And I think he's fulfilling that role to perfection this season. Uh, it, and the numbers back that up as well. Like recently I was looking up um, the leaders in the Premier League for smart passes in midfield, and which is smart passes are sort of penetrative passes that attempt to break opposition lines. And um, only Kevin De Bruyne has averaged more smart passes in the Premier League out of midfielders this season. Then Naby Keita. Uh, then you look at his defensive stats. Uh, people sometimes, you know, saw that as sort of his only frailty in the team, his only weakness. But again, uh, I saw a stat uh, maybe a month ago that he ranked uh, in the top three out of midfielders for the tackle percent success rate as well. So you know, he's uh, not just in terms of Liverpool. But in terms of the whole league, he's up there with some of the best midfielders at the moment. And I think that just proves why Liverpool um, are happy with him and why the Jürgen Klopp is not worried about his future or anything else. And that's the beauty of this team is that you can be looking at it thinking we want him to be more of a proactive defender or proactive attacker. But the reality is he's an understated attacker and an understated defender who is doing the job the manager wants of him. James reminds me of another former midfielder we had, a Dutch fella. I can't remember his name. Um, Anyway, his name normally gets brought up when we talk about Cater this season because it looks like a lot of the gaps that people were thinking we would miss from... Genie Wijnaldum's game, Cater seems to have been able to fill in. He hasn't quite got the backside 
that Genie has, but elsewhere he seems to be able to do everything else. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I do think that the replacement for Vinaldum in some ways was the tweak to the midfield. We'd been kind of seeing it slowly come in towards the back end of last season anyway, but Klopp has kind of changed what he's asking of his midfielders. I mean, Vinaldum, of course, started out from Newcastle as this kind of exciting attacking winger who would score goals and he came in and was like, right, you're not doing that anymore. But now there's almost been a shift the other way in terms of Klopp saying, okay, let's see, let's see what else we can get out of our midfield as a kind of attacking force as well as a, a defensive unit. Um, so, yeah, I think that has somewhat covered for the Vinaldum absence because you get people like Harvey Elliott who suddenly come into the frame as a viable midfield option. Of course, he's had his injury problems, but that kind of that kind of mould, it, it's worked well for Curtis Jones as well, who maybe put some question marks on defensively in the Vinaldum role, but in the kind of newly imagined Vinaldum role, he's, he's very good at it. Um, but yeah, in terms of just looking at it a bit more kind of like for like, I suppose you would say Cater is the one who's who's plugged that gap. And I don't think anyone would necessarily have banked on that, given that one of the many strengths of Vinaldum was his reliability. He'd give you 38 games a season, no problem. And I mean, no one would have would have been brave enough to say that Cater could come in and, and take up the slack in terms of minutes. But as we talked about, Klopp has options now. He has lots of players who can kind of replace Vinaldum on a rotational basis. And Cater is certainly right up there in terms of the the rotation order and yeah he's he's done really well as as ben said he's he's doing well in all areas i suppose people intent on being critics would would suggest like jack of all trades master of none but is that even a bad thing in the liverpool midfield yeah. I, I don't think it is um he, he's doing a bit of everything uh, and yeah he's got fabinho behind him as the shield so even if there were those defensive weaknesses perhaps not the most important thing in the world. If he can just sort of motor around throwing in tackles, apparently at a very high percentage success rate, then yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining. I think the jack of all trades is kind of still the ultimate midfield model for uh, what well, for a Klopp midfielder anyway. I think that's still really what he wants, even if there are some people who are stronger in other areas. Or he wants them to be able to have the ability to do everything. I mean, James Milner being obviously the most ultimate example. But let's talk about some of those options because this is the other key criteria in deciding whether or not he's going to get a contract is where his place is in the pecking order. And... I think when you look forward to the summer, we already think about the links, the very strong links with Fabio Carvalho. The fact that Milner has, in theory, been offered another deal. Uh, Henderson signed up long term. You mentioned Jones and Elliot that made great strides this season. And all of these strong Jude Bellingham rumours. Um, first of all, it does sound like quite bad news for Alex oxlade Chamberlain, um, But also, it does suggest a real battle for places next year. So... I mean, we don't know what kind of offer Cage is going to be looking for in terms of years or in finances, but he's going to want something that proves that he has a status within this uh, Liverpool midfield. Where do you think he lies at the moment within that packing order? Yeah, that's the thing. It, a new deal has to work for Cater and for the club because, it, you know, it's it's all well and good saying that he's, he's a helpful option to have in the, in the rotation for Liverpool, but if he is... So far down the order, there comes a point where he says, I'm, I'm better than this. I want to be playing mm-hmm. regularly somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's I think he's, he's the next man up at the moment. I don't think he gets into the, the first choice Liverpool midfield, which Fabinho and Thiago are nailed down in. So then you really only have one spot left. Um, at the moment, it kind of goes to Henderson by default. Um, 
you know, he's a very, very good player. That's not a dig at Henderson. By I mean, team. I was going to say that that, <laughs> that, was, that was a pretty brave comment to just throw uh, out there. But continue, continue. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's such a hard call to make. that it, The reason it's by default is because of everything that he's achieved and all of the performances he's put in. It's very hard to displace him. That, that you know, it's, it's not a negative thing, but it just makes the, the job of anyone who wants his spot in the team permanently quite, uh, quite a tough one. Um, but then beyond them, I mean... It's, it's, it's nice for Klopp because he can do things a bit on a game-by-game basis. So there's some games where he'd probably think, OK, this one's more of a Harvey Elliott game. But in terms of the kind of simplistic, if we're just going to go make a list, I think probably after those three, you might be looking at Naby Keita next. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So the, the, the archetypal hypothetical Champions League final lineup. You're putting Naby Keita's first sub. That's what. That's kind of where you're laying it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we saw it in the um, in the League Cup final. Like that. That was um, like Harvey Elliott wasn't initially going to be in the squad because he was the uh, he was the the Cater equivalent. Cater wasn't going to play because he was the next man in after Thiago. So when Thiago drops out, we see Cater come into the starting eleven. Harvey Elliott onto the bench, and I think that's basically the model of where Klopp's at. Well, that sounds like good news for Naby Keita and his agent. And hopefully we'll get to see more of our magic number eight running around for seasons to come. So it's time to talk about Sadio Mane. Now, it was interesting what you said there about Henderson, James, being someone of stature in the team and hopefully not necessarily just getting a starting place just on what he'd done previously, but having to continually earn it. That was really the talk about Sadio Mane as he entered this season because... Last season wasn't his greatest. There were, it wasn't just the, the goal return going down, but it looked like the confidence had drained away from him. It looked like he was struggling to do the things that had made him so great. When we look at this season, he's already scored more Premier League goals than he did last year, and there's still a significant chunk to go. Uh, it's at a rate of one, of two, one in two at the moment. And yes, occasionally he will still shank one into the stands. But there does seem to be a return of that killer's confidence when he takes to the field, that did seem to deserve him at times last season, do you think? Uh, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one because within that one goal in two games, he had that massive nine-goal drought, didn't he? So it's been a sort of season of ups and downs, if you like, for him. But he's definitely on the up at the moment in his in his newfound role, which I'm sure we'll touch upon more mm. uh, as, as we go on. But I do think that could be the key to the whole New Deal situation in the sense that he's been... He's been so good. He's come back from AFCON, of course, as the champion. Um, so partly a mentality thing, potentially, but a lot of it is a tactical thing. Klopp has almost been forced into playing him down the middle. Luis Diaz has come in and made the, the left wing his own. But then that happily for Mane came at the same time as Knox for Jota and for Firmino. So Klopp's mind was, it wasn't made up for him. He could have played Takumi Minamino, who's obviously been doing really well in the Cups. He could have played Divock Origi, who, you know, again, talking about track record, he's got some good things going for him. But yeah. He went with Mane and he, he's looked, he looked, yeah, he's looked like a new player or perhaps more accurately, he's looked like the old player, the one who, yeah. we, who we knew and loved. He's, uh, yeah, like you say, he's still missing a few chances. He'd rather be buried, but he's, yeah, on the whole, he's looking very effective in, in terms of his link-up play as well. And he's getting to really dangerous positions. And yeah, like you say, already eclipsed last season's goal tally. He, he can't do too much more in his, in his potentially later than expected bid for a new contact, contract, but certainly a, a strong bid. It is a strong bid, Ben. And I think James makes a really good point about coming back from AFCON because 
he did come back as a champion, but it was still very much an emotionally draining and physically draining experience. And I noticed those first two appearances, I think against Burnley and against Inter Milan, where he was still playing on the left, it was it was a little bit leggy, I felt. And we kind of obviously gave him grace because we still won those games. But it was this move into the centre. It does seem to have given him a new lease of life, a new challenge to take on. And we know that he's such a warrior for this team. It's almost like he's got this new thing to get his teeth into and it's lit the fire under him again. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure AFCON will have given him a world of confidence. You know, before that, he scored against Chelsea as well. So he's on a bit of a scoring patch when it comes to the Premier League. Um, and... I think that that sort of new position um, is something that will make a good case for him getting a new contract because it's showing his versatility and it's it's showing that he can adapt, really. Um, maybe the left wing position is not the best suited for him. In, in the, you know, we've seen him over the last year lose a, a bit of pace and a bit of directness, but in that central position, you don't need that necessarily he's still got his one-on-one -on -one, one versus one ability that he can use he's still very good at finding space inside the box and uh, you know like you say he can strike one into the stands every now and again but he is still a good finisher and uh, his goal against Norwich proves that um, and his goal record as well overall so I, I think it was interesting as well that we saw him play a little bit on the right uh, against Brighton when Mohamed Salah came off. Uh, again, that's showing, you know, he's played on the right before, even at Liverpool in his first oh, season. Started, but yeah. it, it was just, it, it was just a sign that, you know, Cobb is confident that he can play in every front three role basically mm -hmm. for him. And um, when you look at the other players whose contracts are expiring, someone like Roberto Firmino, uh, his only role is through the middle. And, uh, you know, it, 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 give, it gives FSG and Julian Ward and Klopp an interesting decision because Mane has proven he can do that role mm. and he can also play on the left and the right still. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that decision goes. There's some irony in this as well, in as much as the Mane's starring role on the left began because we bought someone for where he was playing before and he did it really well. And so he made it work and then suddenly became fantastic at it. So there's absolutely no reason to say why he can't do it again. The thing I'm interested about is the way that he goes about the nine position in comparison to Firmino and Jota, Ben. It's almost like a little bit of a halfway house between the two because he's got some of the link-up play that we see with Firmino. I think Brighton was one of his best games for that in particular. But then he does also have those predatory penalty box instincts that we get from Jota, the aerial ability we get from Jota, which maybe has started to lose a little bit from Firmino's game. So you mentioned Firmino and we weren't officially talking about him, but he's in the same boat as well. So we should bring him in because it might be that it comes down to a decision for the club between the two of them as to where who's going to be able to remain on the contract they desire. And like you say, it may all come down to his um, adaptability across the front line. Yeah, I mean, in terms of age, they're fairly similar. I think there's only... Uh, I, I know Roberto Firmino was born in 1991 and Mane was born in 1992, but there's not an entire year between them. It's just a few months, I think, overall. So... 
it won't come down to that. Uh, and then you look at their output. Uh, Mane is obviously better this season, but Firmino has been injured and hasn't been available. I think that Liverpool will look at that as well and see that as proof. You know, Mane's been pretty consistent since he's been at Liverpool. He hasn't really had a long layoff that I can remember, maybe just towards the end of his first season. Uh, but other than that, I can't really remember anything too serious with him. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting one to see where what Liverpool decide. Um, for me, I see Mane as being the better option because of the fact that he's versatile, more versatile potentially than Firmino. And mm-hmm. like you say, I I think his creativity and his link-up play is underappreciated at times in that number nine role from what we've seen. You know, people will talk about the goals, but he's been dropping back a lot and he's been uh, playing some good one-twos in and around the area, similar to Firmino. Mm-hmm. Um, then then you also have his physicality. Uh, he, he I've, I've noticed him winning balls high up the field, you know, tracking back and he, he still has that energy, which is also very f- similar to Firmino. And, I think Firmino will have been looking at Mane's performances and kicking himself in the foot a little bit uh, over the last few weeks. I mean, to be honest, this is Bobby, so he's probably just really happy for him. But inside, he'll probably be a little bit upset. I, I, I take your point. Nah, he's, a fo- he's a footballer. He's competitive deep down. No, it's true. It's true. He is. He is. He is. Um, speaking of competitive fire, James, um, last time we spoke about the contract situations of our forwards, we mentioned that an obstacle for Mane may well be a slight difference in perception of his own worth between how he and his agents feel like he should be considered and with some within the club, particularly, as we've mentioned, because they've got so many different decisions to make seemingly at the same time. So this idea of him being a nine, it kind of increases his opportunities to be a starter when you think about the obviously ideal world where salary signs and is on the right and then Diaz continues the trajectory he's on. Does he think he's got a better chance of maybe dislodging Jota from the middle than he would have from Diaz from the left-hand side? I mean, yeah, potentially. I, I don't think Klopp even necessarily perceives it as his first choice 11 anymore. He sees it as horses for courses and, you know, rotation, all of these things come into it. He, he relies on a lot of these players, even if, you know, in terms of when fans are making a here's the best Liverpool eleven, and um, you know that's that I don't think that necessarily crosses his mind. So whether or not Mane gets into that, I don't think really affects it. What what really matters is that this gives him a chance for more minutes across the board. Whether that's dislodging someone on a permanent basis, I don't think it is because Jota, given his age, is more the future of, of Liverpool than Mane is. That that's just you know an inevitability of time. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, it gives him more chance to come in on a rotational basis, on a fixture-by-fixture basis, and that can't hurt him in terms of his standing in the team, which, yeah, like you say, when it comes to negotiations, can maybe produce some more common ground because there'll be some more agreement in terms of how much he'll actually be on the pitch. Um, We mentioned Firmino in terms of maybe he's the less versatile one. I think that's potentially a bit harsh. We've recently seen Klopp experiment with Firmino in in that number eight role. We touched upon it earlier about how the number eight role has changed since Wijnaldum left. Back, back then, you wouldn't necessarily have said, OK, maybe Firmino can play that, although maybe you would because he's such a unique type of striker. But um, certainly in the more offensive-minded 
interpretation of this number eight midfield role. It, it almost seems made for a slightly older, more vintage version of Firmino. Yeah. We haven't seen it too much, but we, on occasion, I, it was a few games ago, I can't remember exactly what the game was, but there was a substitution which allowed us to see him in midfield for sort of 20 minutes or so, and he, he didn't look at all out of place. Um, so I think if, when he's coming to the table, he'll make the case that, OK, maybe I'm not so versatile across the front three, but move me backwards and I can do wonders for you. Um, so, yeah, it's it's still a toss up in that regard, I think. Um, and then you've got the resale issue to think about, because if, if one of them isn't renewing, then Liverpool are going to ideally want to get one of them off the books because, you know, they, they made an investment and they're going to want to see some sort of return on it, most likely. Mm. I think Mane is still the easiest sell to other clubs in terms of, He's an asset who's still scoring well. His, his goal record this season won't have done that any harm at all. You could easily see someone like a Barcelona if they find some more money from somewhere um, coming in for him. Um, so it's tricky. It, it, there's so many things to weigh up for the club. I don't think. I think whatever happens, there'll be a justification behind it because it's so it's so difficult. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be the one making the choice. There's there's so many competing factors. I don't know what the what the best choice is. I, I really, really don't. I know that doesn't give much insight to the people watching, but... Um... Well, it's, it's funny you said, I, I, I'm glad I'm not the one making the choice because you know what I'm about to ask you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gut feeling. Do you think we're going to see both, new, both these two players, Kaita and Sadio Mane, sign a new contract? No, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think I think Cater will. I think Cater will. I I think Mane either goes in the summer or, or runs out his deal. I, I'm not necessarily saying that's the best choice, but I think knowing what we know about FSG, knowing about you know their views on age profiles and how they're always looking to renew the team, I think maybe they draw a line under the under the Mane chapter. But it could so easily go the other way. But that's my gut instinct. Wow. I mean, I, I get that you're sad about this, but it's still a bit of a bombshell to to absorb. Ben, what do you think? <laughs> Is this the end of the Mane era? I think the opposite. I think this season has shown, particularly since January, that Klopp sees Mane's future in the team. I think the fact that he's playing him as a number nine against Brighton over Jota and Firmino it's it's a clear indication that you know he's not about to give up on him. Uh, whereas with Salah, I think his future is more uncertain. Mane's demands are going to be less. And if we are talking about who's the most profitable player in the front three to sell, then it's Mohamed Salah. And unfortunately, I'm not saying that's the right decision, as James said as well. Unfortunately, I can see FSG cashing in if um, an agreement can't be met, if, if their demands are not accepted by Salah. So I think, um, yeah, Keita and Mane will stay at the club. You don't want the bombshell. <laughs> I mean, I've got to say, Ben, you've got a future. I mean, I'm keeping on. I'm, I'm keeping on. I'm hand trick. I I'm was expecting to be all positive and then you dropped the bomb. <laughs> I'm trying to keep optimistic, but I just think with Liverpool's history of selling players um, such as Coutinho, um, Torres in the past, Suarez, of course, um, most of them happened on the FSG. Um, when when there is a sort of disagreement, um, there's nothing. It's rare that the two sides come to an agreement. Um, so because of that, I'm feeling a bit cautious about saying that he will stay at the club. That's fair. That's also probably why we didn't do the show about him because we were going to stay positive. But no, um, 
you're right you are 100 right the only thing that we know at this precise moment is that we don't know what's going to come i think for Kater and for mané they've made as good cases as they possibly can over the course of the season and for them the best way to make the ultimate case will be to collect those other three trophies ben james thank you for this show uh we're not going to talk about salah i promise you anymore or even next week until he signs uh Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.